0: This week, we begin a uh, three-week series on Jesus' call on us to be his disciples, his call on all of us to be his people, his call on us to be part of his family. And uh, we want to hear from God's word over the next few weeks what this call entails, what's involved in this call, what can we expect when we hear this call from Jesus, and in order to get there, uh, we're going to use our definition of a disciple here at Holy Cross as our framework. Each week we will unpack one of the three F's, as we call them here. Uh, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is being formed by Jesus, and is used by Jesus to fulfill his mission in the wor- world. So follow, formed, fulfill. It's what's On our blue posters at all of our campuses, our definition of what it means to be a disciple. And so today, we're going to unpack following. What does following the Lord entail? What can we expect when we follow Jesus? And uh, in my opinion, there's really no better book to read in the Bible than uh, the Psalms to find an accurate description Of what it looks like and what it feels like to walk in faith in the Lord. Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a life of faith. And the Psalms, if you don't know, are basically like journals. They're like the journals of David and uh, the other psalmists, the other authors. They're personal reflections, their meditations, their prayers, their praises, their laments, their sufferings. The Psalms are songs and poems. Uh, that capture and convey the daily in-the-mud struggle of this walk, along with the reassurance, the joy, and the hope of what it means to be in relationship with God. They're pictures of life within the Lord's call, and that's why they're often so relatable. If you haven't already, I encourage you to read the Psalms as part of your uh, personal time with God Because you'll be surprised, I think, at the raw honesty in the Psalms. They're not examples of, you know, people saying what they think they should say. They are not these polished and edited pieces, you know, where they're trying to make themselves look better than they actually are. The Psalms are writings from people that were saying what was on their heart and on their mind in real situations, coming before the Lord as they really were. And why not? If there's anything we need to be reminded of, I think, in the church today, it's that God is actually sovereign. He already knows everything that we are dealing with. He's not surprised by your life. He's the author of your life. Nothing is hidden from his sight. We pray it every Sunday at the beginning of the service with the call for purity. We say, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open. All desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. What on earth are we thinking when we come before God kind of putting on airs, right? When we uh, come to church and we pretend to be something that we're actually not. We've all done it. I do it. When we pretend that things are okay when things actually are not okay. I love the Psalms because there are no false pretenses in the Psalms. There's no facade. There's no one pretending with God. If there's ever a place for honesty, it's before the one who knows everything about us, who knows what is in the hearts of men and women. And I wonder if you've ever really risked that. Have you ever really just let it rip and actually had an honest conversation with Jesus? You know, really told him what you were feeling, unedited, you know, the unedited, you know, R-rated version of you. Because he already knows what it is. Have you ever held nothing back before the Lord? Not coming with some sort of sense of propriety or idea of manners, but actually coming and being who you are in front of him. I want the Psalms to be a word of permission to you to do that. Let them be uh, an example of an invitation from Jesus. To come to Him truly as you are, as Billy Graham famously wrote, you know. And I can tell you, if you do this, if you take that risk, uh, you will be surprised at how freeing it actually is when you take off all of the facades that you want to put up. You know, all of our attempts to come to the Lord, controlling our emotions. You know, trying to control what's churning inside of us. We feel like we have to do that with everybody else almost in life, right? There's very few people in life that we can really let it all hang out. But I, I want you to know and hear again that Jesus already knows it all. You already have the emotions. He already knows that you have them. You might as well share them with him. You might as well let it rip and accept his invitation to actually be who you are. I promise you, you will be surprised at how wonderful it is. You'll be shocked at the new depth of intimacy you feel when you begin to pray this way. When you actually say what you really want and what you really need before the Lord and where you really are. Because this is what prayer is. It really is. This is why prayer is a gift to you and me. The Psalms are these uh, authors pray through song and through poem to God. You know, we always crave, as I said, that kind of relationship with somebody where we can actually be who we really are, where you can stop having to put on the good face, stop being strong, stop being, you know, the better version of yourself. We all want to be with somebody that still loves us and knows everything about us or even harder, that still likes us and knows everything about us, right? We've all got families, and we all love them. You know, I love my family, of course, but we all spend as little time, maybe not all of us, but there's probably somebody in your family that you spend as little time as possible with that person because it's hard to like some, some people, right, when you actually know everything about them. This is one of the beautiful things about the Lord is that he's actually inviting us into that kind of relationship with him where we can actually be who we really are and uh, be our messy, confused, beautiful selves with Jesus. That's his invitation. He already knows it all. He knows everything you've ever thought, said, or done, and he knows everything you will ever say, think, or do. And he's saying, come, follow me. I want you. Come into my family. Be mine. I want to hear everything. Everything. David, who wrote this psalm today, does this in uh, his psalms all the time. You want to see somebody who had all their stuff laid bare for literally all of human history to know? That's David. You know, you think your stuff's bad when you get exposed by your friend or somebody finds out something about you. David's stuff is written down in the Bible so that we can know it forever, how he screwed up, okay? And, uh, And also his faith. And when he writes, he comes naked before the Lord, bare, uh, open. Our psalm today is Psalm 25, and we see David fully aware that he is coming before a God that knows him already, that knows everything about him. He opens up saying, I lift my soul to you. And this is language of offering. It's a language of laying it all out there, saying, here I am. Lord. And he does this freely because he knows what we pray in the call for purity. He knows he can't hide anything anyway. He's open. And David comes to God, not because he's such a noble and pious guy. You know, that's what we love to do with the biblical characters. We like to kind of separate ourselves from them a little bit and be like, well, you know, they had it together, and I don't. You know, David was really, he was just, you know, a man after God's own heart. And so, you know, we kind of try to emulate him or we separate ourselves from them and hold them up on a pedestal on some level. The real reason why David comes before the Lord here, we see in the opening stanza there, is because he has enemies. He's in trouble. He's under threat. He says, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. He's worried. And he turns to a place of safety. I wonder if you've ever felt worried or if you've ever felt like people were against you or that everything in your life was kind of caving in on you. Then you already know what it's like to be David. You know what it's like to have enemies and to need a safe place to turn. David turns to God because he knows he's the one who's promised to care for him. And so we see already right off the bat that this call to follow Jesus means that we're going to have enemies. Great. Everybody's excited about that, right? Um, in David's case, it was King Saul, if you know the story. David had been chosen by God, called by God, and anointed by uh, the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel, to replace Saul, because Saul had disobeyed God and had rejected him, and the result was... Saul found out that David was anointed to be the next king, and Saul then pursued him to try to kill him. He was after David. David was on the run. And David now had an enemy in Saul. And it isn't the obvious enemy when you think about their story. You know, it's not all terrorists and drug lords and robbers and things like that. Those guys are all bad, of course. But uh, Saul was David's king. Saul was one of David's friends, actually. If you read First and Second Samuel, David loved Saul. He was devoted to him, and he wanted to serve him. It grieved David's heart that Saul was after him all the time. Saul was a part of David's wider community, you'd say his wider family, because he was the king of Israel. They were both Israelites. And it shows that sometimes when God calls us to follow him, when God calls us to something specific, perhaps, that it means that there will be those who don't understand it. There will be those that don't support us, that may even resent us and get angry at us for what we feel led to do by the Lord. And they may come from our own families, and they may come from the church. You know, watch out. Um, But this is true. If you just think about your life for a minute, I'm sure you've found resistance in your families at times. And I'm sure you've found resistance at times in the church too. The reality is, is when God calls us to something, we may not always be understood for it. And we will often find that we might uh, be discouraged and opposed by people that we don't expect it from. You know, they may not always be in the position of enemy. It may not be like always like, you know, Keith is my sworn enemy forever. You know, it's not like that. But uh, they might find, you might find that sometimes somebody who was your friend in one moment all of a sudden becomes a discouraging person when you're trying to follow the Lord. A perfect example of this is Jesus himself and one of his best friends, Peter. Peter opposes Jesus When Jesus tells the disciples that he must go to the cross to be crucified, that he has to lay down his life. And Peter says, I'll never let that happen, Lord. Never, never. Don't say that. He was very well intended. He wanted to protect his friend. And what does Jesus say to Peter in response? He says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) That would suck. If, you know, (laughs) just for the record, to have Jesus say that that to you, that would be bad. Uh, Peter unwittingly was coming against Jesus' call in that moment. He was coming against Jesus' purpose to die, to lay down his life for, for the sins of the world. He meant well, but he was the voice of the enemy for Jesus in that moment. He was a voice of discouragement and opposition. So the call of Jesus to follow him means that you're going to find opposition. You're going to find resistance. You're going to have enemies at times and sometimes from the most unexpected places. But they will not always be from the outside. Okay? It's the other thing we see in David's psalm here. In verse 7, he moves from the external to the internal. He says, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Jesus' call on us actually exposes, it always does. It always exposes our greatest enemy. That is our sin. We will find as we walk as Christians, uh, when you hear this call of the Lord, you'll find that you actually become more aware of your brokenness, not less. You become more aware of your sin in your life, not less. Our eyes will be opened to see our hearts, maybe for the first time, and we'll see this internal enemy that we struggle against our sin. And it rings true, if you think about it, just in regular life, that we don't really recognize things as false or as lies until we really hear the truth, until we hear something true. It's a common story from people, uh, friends that I know, and some of my own stories myself. Uh, When you grow up in a home that's dysfunctional, perhaps, Uh, you know, you grow up thinking that everybody's house is just like yours right you know i know some i've got some friends who grew up in really abusive homes and they thought that everyone was told that they were worthless and no good as they were kids you know they they thought that everyone had to take care of their little siblings because their parent was passed out drunk every night or that everyone thought it was their job to take care of everybody else in their family learning that their needs and their feelings were second best, or didn't matter at all because that's what they grew up with. That was normal to them until they were told something else, until they experienced something different, until they heard the truth. When someone finally said to them that they matter, when someone loved them and said, you're worth my time, you're worth taking care of, Or when someone came into their life that actually had good boundaries, right? And said, oh, no, no, that's not your responsibility. I'll take care of that. I'm not asking you to fix this for me. When someone gets into recovery, you know, and they discover that they actually grew up in a broken home, and there's actually a possibility for healing and love and freedom. This is the way it is when we walk with the Lord. When we actually come into his light, when he brings us to himself and we actually see what actual love is in Jesus, we start to recognize the brokenness in our lives. It highlights the problem with our sin. The lies and the abuse get exposed for what they are. And we hear for the first time, maybe, from the Lord that you can be free of that. You know? That Jesus has actually taken that for you. He's taken that pain. That He says these words that you are forgiven, those incredible words. And you don't have to go back to that thing that has hurt you for so long. When we finally recognize sin as our ultimate enemy, because of the truth of God's grace and mercy, we will join David and we will always turn to the Lord when we are confronted with enemies externally and we're confronted with our own enemy of our sin. We'll turn to God and we'll say what David says. Remember your mercy, O Lord, your steadfast love. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. We'll run to the truth. These are the circumstances under which David wrote. You know, he was aware of his real situation. He was aware of his enemies externally and internally, and he brought it all before the Lord because he knew something else, very foundational, about the call of God to follow him. It's something we've already mentioned at the beginning, but I want us to see it in David. Uh, He knew something unshakable. It's that God's call on his life meant that he was actually chosen. He was chosen. Following Jesus, is always, always, always in the context of being chosen. That's the why. It's a call. You know, you're not dialing up. That's the imagery. It's not you calling. The phone's for you, right? So, just wanting to be clear what that is. Um, David didn't seek after God first. All right, he was sought after by God. David didn't initiate the relationship with God. God initiated the relationship with him. This is the same for you and me, all right? You see, this means that if, our, if God's call on us is always in that context, if following him always is in the context of being chosen, being wanted, it means that everything I said at the beginning, you can actually come to him with all that you actually are, your R-rated selves, is 100% true. You're never going to be met with, you know, God being like, oh my gosh, what? You know you did what that's never going to happen he's calling you already knowing everything and David knew that himself that's why he comes to God knowing that this is a safe place he says very clearly in the psalm he says you are the God of my salvation he says remember your mercy O Lord remember your steadfast love for they have been from of old they have been long before I came into the world David's saying this is who you are And he says, according to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. David knew God's goodness. He knew God's mercy because he had been chosen. God had come after him. And David knew he didn't deserve such things. He reflects on his own sin right here. He was aware he had been a sinner his whole life. He says the sins of his youth. He was not worthy, but God still chose him. In his mercy, he chose him because of his steadfast love. And this is really the crux of it all for you and me. That phrase, steadfast love. It doesn't just say love, because if it was just love, our experiences of love often can be, you know, checkered. Just think of junior high or high school. You know, think of dating. Think of how fickle dating can be in high school and maybe even in adulthood. (laughs) You know, what what you know, she's offended. I said something. We were out. I don't know what I said. She asked me how the dress looked, you know. I was like, "Well," and I hesitated. And now she won't talk to me. You know, like if that's what we think love is, then we're in trouble. But what David says here is he's talking about God's steadfast love. The word steadfast means that God's love is unchanging. It's fixed. It's faithful, it's unwavering, it's absolute, never-ending. This is why David says he puts his trust in the Lord, because he knows that God won't change on him. He knows, as he says, that none who wait for God shall be put to shame. He won't be disappointed. God is going to prove faithful, because that's who he is. He will protect him from his enemies. He will protect him from Saul, and he'll forgive his sins. These are actually the ways and the paths that David talks about in the psalm. When he says he asks God to teach him his ways and to show him his paths, David isn't asking God to teach him something he's not already aware of, but rather to teach him and show him more about this steadfast love and this mercy that he's already experienced this awesome goodness that he's experienced that's different from any other kind of relationship he's ever had. He wants to know more about this. David wants to experience more of God. He wants to go deeper into the goodness of God, to know that in the deepest recesses of his heart and his mind and his soul, that God's love is steadfast. And this is why David waits. Other translations say hope in place of wait here and the two are obviously connected David waits on God because he is his hope he knows that God will be faithful he knows God hears his cry and he know he knows God will answer so he waits and that's the final thing we hear from David today about hearing this call from Jesus and following him following the Lord often involves waiting all of that prayer I encouraged you to do at the beginning, to really come to the Lord with everything, to let it all hang out, and to be your true selves, it often comes with waiting. It's the most common, common reminder that we are not God when we pray. Like David and the other psalmists, we'll bring our concerns and our prayers to Him knowing that He hears us, and then we wait for His answer. We wait on his timing. You know, if you're like me, you often often want to run ahead and you want to try to figure it out on your own. You want to try to control things and you want to try to, you know, manage outcomes. And uh, that's why we laid out the context here. What David's writing is that he's come to the Lord in the midst of struggles that he cannot control and he cannot manage. He has no power over stopping Saul. Step one of the 12 steps says, we admitted we were powerless over our sin, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's the first step. And that's where David was. And it's, the truth is, remember hearing the truth changes things for us, it exposes things as they really are. The truth is, is that's where we are that we, more often than not, are in a place of powerlessness over the things that really concern us, the things that keep us up at night. More often than not, our lives are actually unmanageable, whether we believe it or not. We certainly try to make things manageable. We certainly try to exert our control on things. But we will find that there are problems that we cannot control. And we come to God, and we wait on Him because we know that he's the only one that can actually do anything about it. That's what David testifies to us about, that when we're face-to-face with our actual enemies, we're confronted with our powerlessness, and we need help from the outside. That I don't have the solution. I don't have the answer within. I actually need to be rescued. And that's why being honest about where we really are is such a helpful thing. Because you cut through a lot of BS, let me tell you. Um, you just cut through a lot of the crap that you're going to sit there and waste your time trying to do. You know, trying to prove to God, wait, no God, I'm, all right, I'm going to pray about it, but then I'm really going to go off and try to solve it again. And then I'm going to have to get disappointed again, and I'm going to come back and pray about it again. And I'm going to run off and try to solve it again and get disappointed again. This is what we do all the time. And he, he allows us to do this until we finally learn that lesson that we actually need to wait. And waiting is not a bad thing. Waiting often feels like you're doing nothing, but you're doing something. You're waiting. You're waiting on God. And the Bible promises us that that is not a waste of time. David says himself that those who wait on you will not be put to shame. Isaiah says it that those who wait on the Lord will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Waiting on God is actually one of the most effective things we can do. No more false pretenses. No more facades. No more faking it till we make it. We come to the Lord and we are who we are and we bring our actual concerns to him. We, we hear the call of our creator God. We hear the call of our Lord Jesus Christ. We hear her those words, I've chosen you. Come follow me. And something springs to life in us that wasn't there before. A longing in our hearts to be with him, to hear him speak, to echo David's words, to want to know his ways and have him teach us his paths. We want to know more about his mercy and his steadfast love. We want to hear that we are forgiven. We want to hear of his awesome sacrifice for us on the cross. We hear that, and we hear that he will never leave us or forsake us. And so we do what David does so often. We come to him again and again and again with everything we're actually dealing with. And we lift our souls to him. We trust in him. And we will wait, as David said, we'll wait all the day long for him because his answer is actually going to be the one that is an answer. It's actually going to give you a solution. It's actually going to carry you through whatever it is you're in right now. That's his promise to you. We wait all day long on him because we know that those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame. He is our hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your call on our lives, that you have called us to follow you, And I thank you, Lord, that when we follow you, uh, you expose the things that are really against us. You bring up the things that are really hurting us, that we're really dealing with because you want to heal them. You call us to give them to you and to wait on you. And you promise us that you will prove faithful. You will not disappoint us. We will not be put to shame. I thank you for those words, Lord. I pray that you would continue to invite us in. I pray that you would continue to open us up. And Lord, that you would keep this good promise that we can wait on you firmly fixed in our hearts and our minds this week. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.